All right, we are doing these kind of small series, I would say, uh, just a couple of weeks talking about this ideal church uh, message, which we had a, a, a year ago this summer, so that would have been summer of 2021. We went through uh, these principles in a very detailed way. I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, if you want the details, if one or two of them, you're like, oh, I want to know more about that, go back to the, in the podcast to uh, summer of 2021. They're all in there. The reason why I wanted to do this at the beginning of this year is back in my youth ministry days, I remember just thinking as I was involved in church leadership that there were things that were less than ideal in my mind happening in the churches I was involved with. The churches were awesome. I've always been involved in some pretty phenomenal church ministries. This is included in that. But I thought there were just some things that I saw in the first century church that I was a little jealous of, that, that I wasn't experiencing in the church context that I, I was in. And so... I put this Word document on my, on my desktop that was kind of an outlet for me, for those ideas. You know, I didn't want to, uh, to bog our leadership down with all these, these things that they probably didn't want to hear about. And so it was, it's, it was my way of kind of um, offloading these thoughts that I had. And that collected over the years. And then, uh, you know, a couple summers ago, I decided to share those things with you guys. And the reason for that, and the reason why I'm sharing it this morning is, if I had my way, which... which I don't necessarily get my way very often, but I would love for us to be some of these things, or even all of these things. Um, I would love for us to lean into some of this stuff. Not because, you know, some of these aren't direct biblical mandates. We gotta, I want to be very, very clear on that. Some of these things are just simply things that I've observed of the early church that I kind of envy, I, I'm jealous of. I, I would love to be a part of a church like this. And so uh, that's where these things come out of. We're going to cover four or five of them today, and so let me pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, I just pray as we're uh, looking at this this morning that you would, again, just do the work that you want to do in us this morning, that you, you would help me to be clear on many of these things that aren't necessarily biblical mandates, but uh, are just observations to be made of the early church. Some of these are, are opinion things that, that we can disagree on, and that's okay, but help us just to have a good time this morning kind of um, thinking through these things, really pondering whether uh, we want to be a church like this, and that we know that we can't be any of these things uh, unless you're at work in us and through us. So uh, we pray that you would just do your work in us this morning. Pray this all in your name. Amen. All right. So the first one I have here this morning is the ideal church is where we do life together. Like I said, a lot of these aren't mandates. I don't see this mandated in Scripture, but I do see this demonstrated in Scripture, and I'm jealous of it. Acts chapter 2, this is basically the first day that the church uh, in, its, in its current form was established. Uh, it's the day of Pentecost. And Peter gets up, gives this message to the people, and 3,000 people respond that day to, to Christ. They follow Christ. Uh, and that group of 3,000 begin to do some things after that day. And, and this is what it looks like. Uh, verse 41 says, So then those who had received his word and were baptized... And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Um, so this first group of, of believers, or large group of believers, um, devoted themselves to, to three things. And by the way, devoted means they made an intentional choice to commit themselves to these things. Okay? It doesn't mean that they fell into it. doesn't mean that it was some, somehow organic or automatic. It was something that they chose to do. 
They made, a, made it a priority to do. And they, they committed themselves to three things. The teaching, the apostles' teaching, which is what we commit ourselves to on a regular basis. Uh, fellowship, which literally just means being together. And eating together. All three, I think, pretty good things, right? Um, and I am thankful here that we have uh, events that we do that usually involve food and we eat together. Uh, there's something about kind of uh, having a meal together that's, that's, uh, that's cool and fun and a way to be together. Uh, but it meant a lot more back then than it does now to eat together. Uh, table fellowship was a really, really important way to demonstrate a connection with another person. And in fact, you didn't want to have table fellowship with certain types of people because you would demonstrate, demonstrate a connection with them that you don't want. Um, so this was important that they were going, you know, we're going to eat together. We're going to fellowship together. We're going to be committed to one another in this kind of community, right? Um, and, uh, and, and I'm thankful we do that with events. I'm thankful that our small groups are uh, doing some of that. He goes on. Verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were, were taking place through the apostles. So they were doing this, they were committed to one another, they were fellowshipping one another, and they were just like all the time going, wow, this is cool. This is really amazing. They were in awe of what God was doing among them, right? And the apostles were doing this miraculous stuff that they had never seen before, and they're like, wow, this is really, really cool what the Spirit is doing among us. Then something that I think can, has to be described as miraculous occurred. Has to be described this way. Look at 44. It says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. You get what, these, what they're saying there? What was going on? This is ridiculous what was happening. They had all things in common which means what, what was mine is yours, right? I would never hold anything back from someone who's in need. You're in need of something. I have something. I'm going to supply your need. They were selling their property, uh, divesting their holdings, right? Like property was, was something that was valuable at that time. It's still valuable today. They were actually selling their property because they're like, you know what? I think this group of people or these couple of people could use the proceeds, from me selling this property. Um, they, were, they were getting rid of possessions. I don't need this. You need this. Here, take it. What I don't think this is, now sometimes this gets described as something like communism, mm -mm, uh, or, uh, or like taking a vow of poverty. No, that's not what's happening here. Um, they, uh, this is not like, I'm not going to provide for my family so I can provide for you. No, that's not what's going on here. In fact, that's called out in Scripture. Um, this is not some sort of a commune situation where you, like, move to some middle-of-nowhere place in Texas and everybody, like, gives up all their possessions to one leader who's, like, distributing it at all. That's not what this was. Um, there were actually communes like that that existed back then, but that's not what was happening here. That's not what's being described here. This, uh, this is not even them selling their primary residence. They had a home. In fact, it's going to talk about here in a second that they met in homes to have meals, right? You had to have a home, and you had to have resources to provide those meals. This is not about, like, getting rid of everything that you have and taking some vow of poverty so that other people have stuff. That's not what it is. It is looking around in the community and going, I, I know of a need here. I'm going to meet that need. Oh, there's a need over here. 
Let's meet that need. Oh, there's a need over here. Let's go meet that need. And they, they didn't have a second thought about whether they would give up something of their own so that someone else could be supplied for. To me, that's amazing. That's miraculous. We live in a transactional world. I'll give you something, but I better be getting something back. Right? This is, it doesn't matter. I'm not even expecting anything back. Please don't give me something back. I'm just giving you what you need. That's the kind of community that they lived in. It's amazing. The best description I have for this, at least what, what works for my mind, is they were all of them, each one of them, holding their possessions loosely. You know what I mean? They weren't holding on to it going, no, this is mine. I worked for this. They're going, no, you know, I'm going to hold it loosely. Oh, you need, oh, here you go. Oh, you need something? Oh, here you go. Constantly thinking about how to meet needs financially. I want to be a, a, a part of that kind of a church. That's actually the second one here. I think the ideal church is where we hold our possessions loosely with one another, caring for each other's physical and financial needs. Now, I don't know about you, but I instantly go into the practicality of this, right? Like, how do you do this? How do you, how do you keep people from taking advantage of this, right? Um, how do you even know how to meet needs? I am convinced that this can only occur in a place that has deep community, right? Really close community. They knew each other well. They met each other's needs because they knew of each other's needs. And they were willing to self-sacrifice to meet the needs of, of these people that, that were truly in need. This was not taking advantage. We get calls, I don't know, at least once or twice a week here um, of many times people trying to take advantage of our church. And by the way, we don't let them do that, right? But, but we want to care for each other in this way, to meet these deep needs, but we have to know each other and be in deep community, community to do that. But wait, there's more. Verse 46 says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. How often were they getting together? Every day. Now, I know we live in the 21st century, and this is really not practical, right? Um, but that sort of dedication, I think, is practical. It's possible to be that dedicated to one another without probably meeting every day. Um, when I was in seminary, uh, Biola is in this, uh, this community called La Mirada, uh, and there's a lot of Korean Americans in the area, and there's a lot of Korean churches in the area. So I had a lot of, of Korean buddies. And uh, what was amazing to me about the Korean culture is they did get together every day. Like, literally, this guy would go to a prayer meeting every morning at 6 a.m., and he said the whole church was there. Not a single person was ever missing from those. And I'm like, wow, like, that's crazy, right? I just don't see that happening here, right? I don't see us doing that. But I do think um, we can be so committed to one another that, that we go, you know what, this is not a Sunday morning thing. Too much, in my estimation, too much of modern church is about what we do here on Sunday morning, which I'm not saying is unimportant. It's important. But, but to be committed to one another and actually getting together with one another much more often than just this hour and a half on Sunday morning, I would love to be a part of a church like that. 
Small groups help us do that. Um, it gives us another night of the week where we're, we're together. Um, work projects do that. In fact, we're going to have a work project here tomorrow to finish up the house over there. Um, those things help us be together, right? Um, but, but I think what I'd love to be a part of is a community that says, you know what, I'm going to prioritize deep community. I'm going to prioritize relationship here. I'm going to prioritize connections here. Again, we don't have to be this. I'd just love to be a part of a church that did, that was like this. And, and you'll notice what I love about this is verse 47. It says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. This wasn't like, man, we're so cool. Like, look at how cool our community is. No, they were like, look at what God's doing, right? Look at what God's doing among us, giving him all the glory for it. Love it. Third one. The ideal church is where each one of us puts effort into maintaining unity. What's interesting about the, this uh, phrase that I'm, I'm, I'm leaving up here is that it says they were with one mind, right? You guys see that in verse 46? With one mind. It literally means like one brain. They all had one brain. Um, do you imagine the kind of community you'd have to have and unity you'd have to have to describe a group of people as having one brain, right? One mind? Like that's crazy, Especially when you think about our American culture where we're so autonomous. We're so all about me being me and you being you and, and don't tread on me and all that kind of stuff. Like to have this community in which we're so close, we're so on the same page that we could say that we're, with, we're of one mind. It's amazing. But it takes something super, super important. Um, let's start with this. This is Jesus prayed for this specifically prayed for our church here. Listen to what he prays. He says, I pray earlier, we're right in the middle of a phrase, but earlier he says, I pray that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you know who he's praying for? He says, I pray for you apostles, but I'm also praying for those who would believe through your message. Who's that? That's us. He was praying for us. And he was saying, I pray that there would be this oneness, this unity that is so unique that people would go, man, that has to be a follower of Jesus. That has to be a group of people who are following that Jesus guy. Because groups typically, most groups are selfish. Most groups are divisive. And to be a group that would go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be an individual, and we're going to be a group that lays down self-centeredness for each other. That lays down, like, like we may disagree about something, but that disagreement is never going to turn into division, ever, because we're one mind. We're one together. And that, that, that's not something that can just happen. It has to be intentional. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 says this, Paul's speaking to the Philippians, and he says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, is there encouragement in Christ? Check. If there's any consolation of love, anybody consoled by God's love for us, 
Check. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? Check. If any affection and compassion? Check. Then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, one mind, one brain, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than than yourselves. Selfishness, conceit, making it about me, super easy. Super, super easy. Selfish ambition, like me getting, going higher, even if it means that you have to go a little bit lower, like me wanting my way and trying to get my way, like that is super, super easy. Conceit, which makes me the important one in, in the equation, like you and me are hanging out, I'm the important one here. My opinion is the one that really counts. Super easy. Self-sacrifice, very hard. Beyond human. Can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Considering someone else's needs before you consider your own needs. Super hard. Placing others' needs and wants and dreams and desires above your dreams and wants and desires. Super hard. But that's the very thing that will bind us together in unity that is unbreakable. I don't know about you, but again, this went on this document on my desktop, right? Because I was looking around at the church and I was hearing people's condemnation of the church, their critical spirit toward the church. And I went, I don't love that critical spirit, but they're saying something super true. Because how many churches have accepted, oh, we're just going to be divisive? Oh, we're just going to be selfish. Oh, we're just going to be gossiping and backbiting. That's just the way church works. How many churches have done that? And Jesus is praying that we would have unity among one another, that we wouldn't do any of that, that we would be so different than the world that we wouldn't do those kind of things. So that the world could look at it and go, man, that group of people is different. I've never been a part of a group of people like that. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of group, that's the group of people that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of, that has such unity that there's no way the enemy can break it, and that that would be a witness to our community. All right, next one. I think the ideal church is where people come to serve, not to be served, and to give their lives for each other. We live in a consumer church culture. And, it, and it's infected all of us. It's just a reality. I just think we've got to be aware of it. We, we've, we've come to the conclusion or the, this assumption that I, I go to a church, I check out a church. You go to a new community and you go church, what? Shopping, right? Wow, that's consumer, right? I'm going to shop for churches to find what? What are you really looking for? The church that meets my needs, right? The church that I like being a part of. I'm not saying you shouldn't like being a part of your church, but it's just a a very upside down view of the church compared to the first century, right? 
I was just a part of the, in the first century, you were just a part of the church in your community, right? You just were part of that church. And that meant you were with people who drove you nuts, right? Or people who had different perspectives than you do, right? Um, and we're so con- consumer-driven that, that it leads into, once we choose that church that we've shopped and purchased, that that can sometimes lead into, and many times lead into, well, now this place has to remain the place that I want it to be. It becomes very us-focused, right? This uh, Matthew passage I'm going to put up here, just to set it up, it's, it's Jesus with his apostles, okay? They're sitting around, they're having a conversation, they did a lot of that, right? And a couple of the guys, James and John, are like, hey, you know what, I would really like a special role here, Jesus. I think I actually deserve a special role here for what I've, what, what, we've done, right? What we've done for you, I think we deserve some special roles. What, what special role do you want to give us? And look at how Jesus responds. Well, that's a little bit hard to see, but squint. Uh, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercised authority over them. We, we know this from our world. Our world is built on power structures and ho- always has been, right? Um, it's built on people seeking more power, um, seeking more autonomy, seeking uh, more of an ability to make uh, the choices that they want to make in life, right? And, and they pursue that through uh, financial freedom or, or some sort of political power or uh, organizational power or whatever. Like, this is how our world works. It's built on these power structures, and unfortunately, that's, that idea, that thinking, happens in the church. It translates into the church. I want to make this church more like what I want it to be, so I'm going to try to rise in the ranks. I'm going to try to, I, I, I might create a little faction over here where we're all going to be like these squeaky wheels that are going to get everybody else to kind of come over to our side on this. And it's always, you know, cloaked in like, I think this is what's, the, the best for the church. Okay, fine, right? Yeah, that's usually just a cloak, though, right? Look at what Jesus says in 26. Oh, keep that up there. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Greatness in this place among us is servitude. Greatness in this place is sacrifice. That's greatness. That's not our wor- the world's greatness, but that's greatness here. That's this upside-down kingdom that Jesus set up that we're a part of. That's laying aside our tastes and our preferences and our comfort and our sense of security and whatever else I need to set aside to serve you. I'm willing to do that. And then he, and then he says something just, profound. Like, 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 really? Look at 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's like, let me give you a picture of what that's supposed to look like. Look at me. Not me, but Jesus, right? Look at me. Follow me. The Son of God, the God of the universe, the one who placed every star into place, 
the, the, the human who for all pl- places at all times should be the one of anybody on the planet to be served every second of his life. Chose instead to serve every second of his life. It's like, be me. He had no expectation of being served. Now, was Jesus served at times? Sure he was, right? Mary of Magdala, you know, she comes and she breaks this bottle of perfume and, you know, wipes her hair on his feet. I mean, just, ah, man, just a beautiful picture of servitude, right? Honoring him. But he didn't come for that. He came to serve. He came to lay down his life. I don't know about you, but I would love to be a part of a group of believers where every one of us is showing up to serve someone else, showing up to love someone else, showing up to be the, the difference in someone else's life, not coming so you can sit back and see what, what you can get. I'd love to be a part of that church. Last one. The ideal church is where each person pursues their ministry within the body based on their giftedness. This goes along with service, right? Not coming here for other people and their giftedness to serve me, but for me to serve with my giftedness. Uh, Ephesians is great on this. Uh, Ephesians 4, the whole chapter is really good on this, but it starts uh, in verse 7, this idea. But to each one of us, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. I missed something there. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Uh, grace, this, the word grace here, it, the, the Greek word actually means gift. It means gracious gift. Okay? So really what he's saying is, every one of us has, has, has because of God's grace, he's given us a gift, right? And that gift is in line with Christ's gift. It's, it's an amazing gift, is what he's saying. The, the, this chapter starts out with the fact that we're one body. It's this, this, you know, being unified. It talks about one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, right? All this stuff that binds us together in oneness, right? In unity. But then he transitions and he says, you know what? We're all one, but we're not all the same. We're, we're not like clones, in fact, the Holy Spirit has done something creatively unique in each one of us and has gifted us with different passions, different abilities, different ministries. And, and he goes on in verse 11 and kind of ex- explains some of this. He says, uh, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers, which is really pastor-teachers. It's one, one gift there. Uh, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So there's this group of, of, of gifts that, that God has given to a certain subset of the church, and these are the equippers, right? And that's a big part of my ministry, right? My, my role, my giftedness, is to equip, to, pre- to, to prepare, to empower the saints for ministry. For wor- the, the work of service, service is actually the word ministry, it's to prepare you for the work of your ministry. You all have ministry. You, you all are ministers. 
How are you going to minister? How can the equippers in the equation equip you to help you do your ministry? This is a very, very, very different picture than I think the 21st century church has, which is let me come and, and, and let me experience and enjoy this small group of gifted people um, expressing their gifts to the rest of us. It's not all the picture in Scripture. The, scripture, the, the picture in Scripture is we're all ministers. We've all been gifted to minister to one another. And there's a small group that are equipping the rest of us, to minister. And so as we're equipped to minister, then something happens. I think this is still up there, isn't it? Yeah. To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As equipped members of the body minister with their gifts that they've been given by God, that's when the body builds itself up. That's the picture here. And unity comes from that. And maturity comes to that. Such maturity that it's compared to the fullness of who Christ is. Is Christ mature? (laughs) Like, he's the most mature Christian that there is, right? Like, Like, to that measure. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. But it's us doing the ministry, not me doing the ministry. You guys know I, I hate the term minister. Like, what is, what is that? Because it, it assumes that there's one minister and a bunch of, like, people receiving the ministry. Like, what is that? That's not biblical at all. Look at verse 14. As a result, man, I so want this result. Look at this. As a result, as each person is ministering and we're ministering to one another, this is the result. We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body the, the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love what causes the growth of the body each individual part doing their part i i'm convinced that the modern church and i'm critical of this thinks that the way that we're going to grow up to maturity is if this guy does his job that is not the biblical picture yeah i need to do my job but, but we are going to be, our, our growth as a body is going to be stunted if I'm the only one doing my job. We cannot grow to the fullness of our potential unless we're all ministering to one another. That's the biblical picture. And if we all minister to one another, then there's maturity in faith. There's stability in faith, which is talked about here. There's speaking the truth. There's loving people with the truth. There's growing into every aspect of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And too much today, in my opinion, we think those things come from this guy doing his job. It's not the way it works. Every joint must supply their part, or we can't grow to our potential. 
If, if, if we place ministry here in the hands of a few guests, we will be immature in some areas. We will be vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We will be not fully formed in the truth. We will be not fully formed in our ability to love one another. We will be missing aspects of what it means to follow and be like Christ. There's just no way around it. We will be that. And yet again, modern churches, I think, are built around the gifts of a few. It's just the way that we've been doing this thing. So I think the questions we need to ask ourselves is, are we here operating well as a body of individually, individual parts properly working? Or are we over-dependent on the gifts of a few? And how can you be a part of that change? How can you be involved in, in, in changing that if that's what we are? If we're too dependent on, on the gifts of a few, how can you be involved in, in being the difference there? And I guess just for you as an individual, do you have a clear sense of your ministry within our church body? I hope you do. I, ho I hope you're leaning into that and, and ministering in that area. But if you don't, my encouragement would be to find your ministry, to find your giftedness. You are gifted. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are a spiritually gifted person to explore that and serve others with that. Like I said at the beginning, I've only scratched the surface on some of these, um, on most of these. Uh, if you want a fuller, fuller discussion on any of these, go back to summer 2021. Um, there's lots more to, to all of these. But I just have some final questions here. Is this the kind of church that you want to be part of? Obviously, it's a church I, the kind of church I want to be a part of. And if so, what can you do to help us build this kind of a church? Let me pray for us. Lord, um, you know my heart's desire is for us to be this. Us to lean into this. And that your spirit would do the work in our lives to, um, to cause us to be a body of believers that comes not to be served, but to serve. To pour out ourselves for each other to be showing up on a Sunday morning with the clear direction of how am I going to serve, how am I going to minister, how am I going to love others this morning instead of what am I, I going to get out of the service this morning. For, that we would be people who throughout the week are ministering to one another, are being involved in one another's lives, are finding ways to love and serve each other in this busy culture that we live in, which is not easy. Help us to find ways to do that. Help us to find ways to, um, to be Christ to each other, to be unified with each other so that you can get all the glory. Pray this all in your name.